Well, good evening, Los Angeles, and welcome back to the Apologetics.com radio show. My name is Jason Gallagher, and I will be your host for the next hour as we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. If you uh, were listening to the intro just now, we have actually been on the air here for 21 years, which is just kind of mind-blowing to think about that, and just want to Praise the Lord for the time that he's given us here, uh, this partnership he's given us with KKLA over the years. We are live right now at the KKLA studios in Glendale, and I am in studio with my good friend, Mr. Tony Yu. How you doing, Tony? I'm doing well, Jason. How are you? Doing great. Uh, Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas. And Merry Christmas to all of our listeners. This is uh, our Christmas show. Uh, I come in once a month. I rotate through with a variety of other hosts, so this is my chance to uh, do a little Christmas show and talk about some Christmas themes, and tonight we're going to be bringing you some apologetic content related to uh, the person of Christ, the proclaiming the true Christ of Christmas, and as many of you apologists, people who have an apologetic kind of mindset will know there is no shortage of opinions and ideas and beliefs about who Christ is, right? Whether you're talking about uh, Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons or Muslims or Jewish people, Buddhists, Hindus, atheists, you name it. Everyone has an opinion, a belief about who Christ is. Um, and so we're going to be talking about that. We are actually... I believe, going to give you some scriptural proofs, some scriptural arguments that you may have not heard before when uh, conversing with people who don't believe in the deity of Christ. We're going to be putting some, uh, juxtaposing some Old Testament verses with some New Testament verses, drawing some parallels, and giving you guys some tools that will help you to readily and accurately and concisely proclaim who the person of Christ truly is, uh, the true Christ. You know, there's many verses, some go-to verses for the deity of Christ. John 1, 1, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's a clear picture there of uh, the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. We know that's Jesus Christ. And that same word was with God in the beginning, that all things were created um, by him. Nothing was made without him. So there's, there's a pretty common verse, but we're going we're gonna to look into some of those, and we're also going to look into some other verses that my, my wonderful buddy Tony here, um, God's just kind of given him a gift for searching the scriptures. He's an engineer, so he's very analytical, but he loves to share his faith. He's always uh, on the streets, you know, at restaurants, you know, proclaiming the gospel to whoever he can. And I think having that heart, that heart to reach people, reach the lost with the gospel, kind of, a, you know, gives him opportunities to speak to all sorts of different people, to hear all sorts of different arguments and beliefs and ideas. And it also gives him kind of a keen eye when he's reading through the scriptures for, you know, making these sort of arguments. Because uh, when you're talking to someone, you don't always have 
hours, you know, you might only have minutes. And so sometimes, you know, you want to just give someone, you know, a couple verses that will stick in their mind and, you know, maybe cause them to reconsider or reevaluate or rethink something that they've held on to for years. And so, uh, stick around because we're going to get into some of that. And I did want to let you guys know that tonight's show is sponsored by my church, the Branch of Hope Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Torrance, California. We meet Sundays at 10 and would love for you guys to come down and join us. We're led by Pastor Paul Vigiano. He's actually on KKLA every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock as well, if you've ever heard his show. And we've been partnering with uh, Apologetics.com for probably a good 10 years we've had different people coming in here and hosting the show and uh, if you want to get a hold of me directly you could always email me at jason at apologetics.com if you have any questions or comments about the show or maybe you want to uh, converse a little bit offline ask questions that's fine we encourage that but if you want to call in tonight we do have several open lines we will be here for the next hour to field your questions about the Bible, theology, apologetics, whatever might be on your mind tonight, you could call us at 888-995-KKLA. That's 888-995-5552. And so it is the the Christmas season. You know, you know, love is in the air. You know, it's a time of joy and hope and peace and gratitude. And, you know, one of my favorite times of year probably for sure. You know, I love seeing all the lights. Um... And it's a reminder, you know, that earth has received her king, right? When Christ came, the newborn king came to this earth, right? And, you know, my family and I have been going through this devotional series, and I love the way this devotional series kind of ties together the totality of Scripture, you know, beginning in Genesis, you know— just want to talk a little bit about this briefly because it's all tied into the person of Christ, his deity, his incarnation, his his coming to earth, his you know becoming a man. Um, and so, in Genesis three fifteen, what do we read there? You know, we read about the fall. You know, shortly after Adam and Eve sinned, and you have thorns and thistles, and death comes into the world, and all creation is is fallen, is groaning. Uh, God comes in, and he 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 has this glorious promise in Genesis three fifteen. It's it's known as the Proto Evangelion, Evangelion, and uh, it's the first gospel, the Proto Gospel, basically the Proto Good News, the first Good News. And it says, "I will put enmity between you and the woman." He's talking to Satan, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And so right here, you're getting this picture. I'm going to put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, Eve, right? Between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So first, there's going to be a woman from Eve. So through the lineage of Eve, there's going to be an offspring, right? And that offspring will bruise your head. And so a blow to the head is a fatal blow, right? It's a blow that you don't recover from. 
but in that process of you know bruising the head of the serpent his heel will be bruised so when he crushes the head of the serpent that same person will suffer an injury but it's a bruise in the heel which is not a fatal injury it's an injury that you will recover from and what do we see fast forward to the cross right you have jesus born and eventually on the cross he has that moment where he conquers sin he conquers death he conquers satan satan's head is crushed and in that crushing of his head jesus is is bruised but it's but he recovers from it right he's raised from the dead and he comes back to life and so you have enmity between this woman's offspring and we know from isaiah 14 7:14 that the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, right? which means God with us. And so you see a prophecy of what's going to happen. There will be a virgin who conceives and bears a son. And Isaiah 9, 6 tells us a little bit more about this child. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. And so this child, this son that's given, we're going to talk about this a little bit more. This is, this relates directly to his, his divinity, right? This idea of a child being born and a son being given, even his names, right? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. And in Luke Mary, the angel comes to Mary and tells her that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And in Luke 2, 7, we read that she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And you just see this beautiful picture that begins all the way in the Garden of Eden, right right after the first fall, that comes to fruition in this son who is born of a virgin, this child, and then ultimately leads to the cross, to the crushing of the serpent's head, to the victory of the resurrection and the ascension. And all of this is so important because this is our hope, right? This Christ is our Lord, he is our Savior, and Christmas truly gives us a picture of the gospel, the good news. And I'll turn it over to Tony here to chime in and talk a little bit about Christmas and this story, this beautiful story of the newborn king who came to live and to die. And, you know, Tony, and you're talking to people, you know, this time of year, maybe Christmas is maybe comes up in conversations um what do you like to highlight when you're talking about maybe christmas to people and kind of as you tie it into the gospel christmas can be sort of an entryway to conversations to strangers on the street hey merry christmas so what do you think the season's about who do you think jesus is and that that can send you off on a gospel conversation for sure mm-hmm. 
And so briefly just walk through a, you know, a gospel conversation that you might have with someone. I like to um to follow the the methodology that Ray Comfort likes to use, which is mm-hmm. show people the law before you share the gospel. <clears throat> the goal is the gospel, but you started the law because people don't understand that they're in need of a savior than most people think that they're a good person. In fact, I've talked to so many thousands of people on the street. When you ask them if they're a good person, maybe 95% of the people say yes. And if you think you're a good person, you don't understand your need for Jesus. You can, you may as well just speak a foreign language. Mm -hmm. So you ask some simple questions like, um, do you think you're a good person? And most people will say yes. Then you throw out a few of God's commandments. Have you ever told a lie? And they'll say, uh, yes, of course. What do you call people who tell lies? Liar. Mm-hmm. So what are you? A liar. Maybe you do one or two more, maybe about stealing, mm-hmm. not obeying parents. And then you summarize for them. So basically, here's what you've told me about yourself. By your own admission, you're just like me. I, too, am a liar, a thief, disobedient, rebellious. Is that the definition of a good person? And they'll say no. And I like to... Bring it all the way home. Let's think about this. If you died today and God judged you, would you be innocent or guilty? And they'll pause for a moment sometimes, and they'll say, yes, I'll be guilty. Mm -hmm. And here's how you bring it all the way home. Should God let guilty people into heaven? And they might have this shocked look, and they'll say, no. Mm -hmm. Do you know what you just realized about yourself? I'm not going to heaven. Well, let me tell you, if you're still breathing, there's hope. God did something very special for you so you can still be forgiven. You've ever heard of Jesus Christ? He's God. He came into the world as a man. He lived a perfect life. He never sinned. So now he can offer himself as a perfect sacrifice for you and for me. God can now punish Jesus for your sins so he won't have to punish you for your sins. Mm. Now God can have justice by punishing the sin. Then he can offer you mercy. Here's what Jesus said. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in Jesus, will not perish, but have everlasting life. And I like to cap it off by saying, I just told you how to go to heaven. Can you tell me in your own words how to go to heaven? Yeah. And so many times they'll say, be a good person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Right. And I have to slow it down and just break it down for them again. It's faith in Jesus, repenting of sins. Because the idea that Mm. faith is what saves is not intuitive. And they default back to the idea that they've got to do something to earn it. Right. But you can't earn salvation. Right. Yeah. It's such in our nature to want to try to earn earn something. And, uh, you know, God's free gift of salvation is sometimes just hard for people to to grasp do you know why grace is the only way god can save people why because we're so wicked and god's standards are so high we can never achieve it Mm -hmm. people who think they can earn salvation have too low of a view of god's holiness and too high of a view of their own righteousness right if we realize you know, the sin that we just talked about in the garden with Adam, if we realize that that one sin, the echo of that one sin is still being felt today because there's still thorns and thistles and there's still death, all of that was brought into the world through one sin. And we have multitudes of sins, each one of us. 
And when you realize how <clears throat> vast that uh, that is, that devastation, you realize what you just said. We could not, there's nothing Adam could have done by being a good person from that day forward that would have reversed the entire creation being thrown into decay and, you know, death. You just said something. There's nothing Adam can do to reverse his sins. Mm -hmm. I like to share this little analogy to help people to understand how doing something good after the fact or even mm -hmm. beforehand cannot cancel out the sin that you've committed. Right. So let's say I murdered your, your family, mm -hmm. right? Let's no one person in your family. Like, let's say your, your mom, mm -hmm. and I'm in front of the judge and I'm guilty. All the evidence proves that I'm guilty. And I say to the judge, hold on, save your time, save your money. You don't have to throw me in jail because last week I donated a kidney to somebody who needed it. Right. And this person is now alive today because of my generous gift. Right. So, on the one hand, I murdered an innocent woman. On the yeah. other hand, I saved a, a person who was going to die. Yeah. We can call it even. I'm out of here, judge. Right. Not. Is that good for anybody? No. No. Every evil <clears throat> act, every sin must be dealt with with punishment. Right. That's why yeah. Jesus had to be punished in our place. Right. Because our sin was against him. Right. Or right. we can pay for our own sins in hell forever. Yep. That is good news. Merry Christmas. We either, yeah, we could either pay it ourselves or we could accept, receive God's gift. Absolutely. Amen. Um, good gospel conversation. And so as, <clears throat> as we turn kind of towards the topic for tonight, um, you know, one of the questions I wanted to lead off with, because, you know, this surrounds, this question is when Luke or when, when Jesus is speaking in, and recorded in Luke chapter 9 or Matthew 16, this question of who do you say that I am, right? Mm -hmm. um, you could read about this in Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 20. Um, but Matthew 16 is a bit of a better passage. It goes into a little bit extra detail. Um, and this is something Tony highlighted uh, when we were talking before the show. And I'll go ahead and read it. And then, Tony, you could break it down a little bit. Okay. Uh, Matthew 16, 13 through 17. You know, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my Father who is in heaven. Okay, so in that passage, you see Jesus saying, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So there you have Jesus claiming the title, the Son of Man. And then when uh, Peter answers, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and then Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Jesus is acknowledging that he's both the Son of Man and the Son of God. Mm -hmm. Those are two titles that belong to the Messiah. And that's important because when you have arguments such as Matthew twelve eight, where Jesus said, For the Son of Man is the Lord even of the Sabbath. 
okay, who is Jesus talking about? He's talking about himself. Mm-hmm. Because unless you understand, you can sh- clearly demonstrate that Jesus acknowledges that he is the Son of Man, you cannot claim this statement as being Jesus. So for the Son of Man, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. So where do we find the Sabbath in the Old Testament, Jason? I mean, the commandment for the fourth commandment is given in right. you know Exodus 20. And right. the Ten Commandments. Part of the Ten Commandments. Who gave the Ten Commandments? God gave them to Moses. Right. So God is the God of the Ten Commandments. If Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, which is the, the fourth commandment, mm-hmm. Jesus is the Lord of all the commandments. Yeah. So right there in Matthew twelve eight, Jesus is claiming to be the God who gave the Ten Commandments. Right. Fourth being one of them. Right. The Sabbath. Yeah. So he's directly claiming to be God. Yes. In juxtaposition to being also the Son of Man. And do you know why this way of claiming to be God is more effective? It's because all kinds of people in the ancient world claimed to be God. Caesar claimed to Mm -hmm. be God. Mm -hmm. All kinds of false gods claimed to be God. Mm -hmm. If Jesus said, I am God, they might think he's just like Caesar. Mm -hmm. He claimed to be a a God like Caesar. But when Jesus claims to be the Lord of the Sabbath, Mm -hmm. he's making no illusions. There's no doubt that he's claiming to be the God of the Bible who created the universe, who led the Israelites out of bondage from Egypt. Amen. Amen. Um, <clears throat> and so one thing that's also highlighted in this passage here is at the end where he said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And, you know, I love, I love this aspect of it because it, for anyone... You know, the more and more I study apologetics and the more and more I actually evangelize and witness and share my faith with people, I realize that someone coming to Christ, someone seeing the light, someone seeing their sin for what it really is and turning to Christ for for forgiveness, for life, for peace with God, has nothing to do with me, right? It has everything to do with God. It has everything to do with his spirit and his word. <clears throat> and here it says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, right? But my Father who is in heaven. And so flesh and blood speaks of, you know, things that have their origination in like human, human form, human power. Um, you know, the Apostle Paul <clears throat> said in First Corinthians, you know, when I came to you, I did not come in power with really clever arguments. I came in weakness and fear and much trembling so that your faith and what was produced in you would not rest on me and my wisdom, but it would rest on God and his truth. And so just, you know, for anyone who's seeking to be an apologist, it's so important that our focus should be primarily on God's word and what it says, right? Um, Hebrews tells us that it is the word of God which is sharper than any two-edged sword and it divides down into the soul of man. It it goes to their thoughts and their intentions of their heart, which is something a human argument, a flesh and blood argument could never do. And so it's just an encouragement that um, if you want to be a, a good student, a good apologist, um, get in the word, you know, study the word, read the word, and begin to share your faith with others to be um, sharpened and so you can put these things 
into practice. Um, John 6 tells that it's a spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. And it says the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So that's where the, the spirit and the power is and the life is. It's in the word of God. <clears throat> and so as we look into this this question about the divinity of Christ, the deity of Christ, <clears throat> I want to start out by giving somewhat of a historical and apologetic context to this conversation. You know, we have Jehovah's Witnesses, we have Mormons, we have Muslims who all have different perspectives on Christ, but it's really nothing new. Um, this conversation, this sort of apologetic, this need to defend the deity of Christ goes all the way back to, I mean, it goes back to the time of Christ, but in church history, it goes back specifically to the 4th century AD at the formation um, and the formation of the Nicene Creed at the Council of Nicaea. And you might have heard that the Council of Nicaea is where uh, the Roman Emperor Constantine called together church leaders to decide what books would be in the Bible, but that's not true. That's kind of a false idea of what happened there. Uh, the Council of Nicaea was basically formed to uh, fight off what was one of the the biggest church heresies um, that up until that point they had ever seen. Um, and two major creeds came out of this, the Nicene Creed and the Athanasian Creed. The Nicene Creed kind of focused on the who God is, and the Athanasian Creed focused specifically on the Trinity and the relationship between the three persons of the Godhead. Um, Arius, which is where we get this uh, word Arianism, was kind of the bad guy. Um, And Athanasius was the good guy. He's kind of the guy who, at the Council of Nicaea, actually stood up and uh, defended Scripture. And, you know, history records that Athanasius was every bit as bold as, you know, Martin Luther was. Um, And he was a true outstanding hero and defender um, of the faith. So you hear a little bit of the music, which means we're coming up on the halftime break for our show. Uh, We're talking tonight about the deity of Christ and how to defend that from the scriptures. So um, this is Apologetics.com, and we'll be right back after these short messages. The mission of Apologetics.com is to challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe on the radio, on the internet, and now in the Life of the Mind conferences. If you believe in the work that Apologetics.com is doing, we encourage you to support us with your prayers and also with your tax-deductible gift so that this ministry will continue on the air, on the web, and in events near you. Gifts of any amount are appreciated, and it's very simple to participate. Just go to Apologetics.com and click Donate. It's safe and secure. Or you can send your check or money order to Apologetics.com, 1900 Southwestern Avenue, San Pedro, California, 90732. Thank you for supporting Apologetics.com. Hi ladies, welcome to Open My Eyes. I'm Lori Wilburn. In this last year, I've been remembering some of my heroes in the faith, women like Harriet Tubman and Elizabeth Elliot. They're examples of faith and fortitude while facing hardship and heartache is astounding. 
In Philippians 3.14, the Apostle Paul said, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul faced his share of suffering and setback, but he could not be discouraged from his course. His race wasn't finished. There was much more for Paul to do for the sake of Christ. Ladies, remember, our salvation is a high calling. Let's press forward serving Christ with all we've got. Let's replace fear with faith to all that lies ahead. To learn more, visit my blog at corechurchla.org. Let me give you a simple tip today. We cannot be right with God until we are right with others. Hello, I'm Chuck Swindoll. If you are resentful of the way someone has treated you, if you're holding it against that person, hoping for the time you can retaliate, you need to ask God to free you from that bondage. The secret, plain and simple, forgiveness. Claim God's power to forgive through Jesus Christ. Begin here. Ask His forgiveness for cultivating that deep root of bitterness within your own heart, and then count on Him to do that. Letting go of that bitterness and watching the rest of your relationships open up, including your relationship with God, one of the greatest joys in life. Pastor and teacher Chuck Swindoll. Visit Insight for Living's website at insight.org. All right, let's get back to the Apologetics.com radio show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Apologetics.com radio show. My name is Jason Gallagher, and we are in the second half hour of our show. And I'm in studio tonight with my good friend Tony Yu. And we are talking about uh, proclaiming the true Christ of Christmas, really. And we talked in the first half of the show how there are so many different beliefs about who Christ is, and it's our our job uh, to be ready to kind of defend and declare uh, who Christ is from the Scriptures. Because if, if people are believing in a false Christ, then that Christ is not capable of saving them, right? If If Jesus is not fully God, fully man, him dying on a cross isn't going to do anything. Right, he needs to be, um, you know, able to pay an infinite debt, and uh, a human being, if not divine and eternal, can't do that. And so, this second half of the show, I encourage you guys. I think you might want to get your pens out um, and write down some of these scripture verses because we have a bunch coming at you to help you declare and defend and confirm the deity of Christ from a variety of um, perspectives and vantage points and angles. And I'm thinking, my guess is you've probably never heard some of these before. There's some pretty basic ones, um, traditional ones, I might say. They're not, none of this is basic, but it's all super profound and important. But there's some go-to ones, John 1, 1, Colossians 1, um, we'll touch on those, but you've you've probably been familiar with those if you've if you've read or studied any other apologetic kind of commentaries when you're talking to uh, Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses. But um, we have a variety more. At the end of the last segment, I was just barely scratching the surface about the Nicene Creed and the Council of Nicaea. 
And I just wanted to kind of give you guys the uh, the fact that this is nothing new. Arianism, Arianism is basically the idea that although Christ may be ha- have some divinity, he was either a lesser god or not god at all. That there was a point in time at which he did not exist, right? Which makes him non-eternal, <clears throat> not co-equal, not you know co-eternal with with the godhead and that's a problem right because you know we could talk about this a bit but that sort of a person can't die for the sins of the world they can't pay an infinite debt um arius was uh heavily influenced by aristotle and kind of this philosophical approach to life and the scriptures and that presented a bit of a a problem for him because he began to read scripture from that philosophical kind of mindset, particularly the law of identity, which basically says that A is A, or A equals A. Um, a tree is a tree. <clears throat> it is what it is. You know, an apple is not a tree. There's, there's a difference there. And this overarching thought directed a lot of Arius's thinking about scripture, and he thought, <clears throat> if the Father and the Son have different names... They cannot be the same thing. They cannot occupy the same space. And he concluded philosophically that the son could not be in the same sense as the father. And one text he looked at was Proverbs 8, where wisdom is personified, if you read it. And many theologians saw wisdom as Christ, right? Kind of a synonym. And it said that the Lord possessed me wisdom, Christ, at the beginning of his way, before his works of old, I have been established from everlasting, from the beginning, before there was ever an earth. And so if wisdom represents Christ, then wisdom and Christ had a beginning. And this is something cults are famous for. They will cling to their pet verse and ignore all the context and a variety of other verses that might, you know, conflict with what they're trying to trying to teach. And so <clears throat> his heresy is really no different than the cults today. And so they came up with the Nicene Creed, <clears throat> which I don't know if you have that up, Tony. Um, I do. You might be able to read some of that. <clears throat> In you particular, what's that? Start now. Um, yeah, I just want to kind of show people this Nicene Creed was written <clears throat> directly to kind of confront some of this teaching about the person of Christ. So if you read the chapter or the paragraph on Christ, um, <clears throat> you'll see you know, some of what they laid down back in the 4th century. And in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures, ascended to heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom 
will never end. Yeah, so you see there, excuse me, the begotten of the Father before all worlds, he is God of God, he is light of light, he's very God of very God. So they're very um, clear to emphasize this fact that Jesus is God. He's begotten, and it specifically says not made. And this kind of ties in directly. We'll kind of get to some of the verses now. Um, Isaiah 9, 6, mm-hmm. right? Why don't you read that and kind of talk a little bit about begotten, not made, and how Isaiah 9, 6 um, helps us to see some of that. Yes, Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And we see here mm-hmm. at the very beginning of Isaiah 9, 6, that a child is born, but a son is given. Let's think about this for, the, for a second. What's the difference between a child and a son? Um, uh, you're, you'll always be a son, mm-hmm. but you won't always necessarily be a child. Right. And in the beginning, of this, in the beginning of this uh, verse, it says, for a, a child is born. Are gods born? No. No. Human type creatures, not true gods, right, are born. But it says, Unto us a son is given. Mm -hmm. So that very first phrase, For unto us a child is born, is talking about humanity. Mm -hmm. And unto us a son is given seems like it's talking about deity. But if we keep reading, it says, And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. Mm Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So this one who is going to be born mm-hmm. seems like he is human. He's born. He's a child. But on the other hand, his name will be Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Right here we see both his humanity and divinity. Yeah. And if you're, uh, let's say, a, a first century Jew reading this, if you really read this, you would be totally puzzled, wondering, how can God be born as a child? But the mystery is unraveled in Christ. Mm-hmm. It is in the God-man, Jesus Christ, that we have our Savior, the Messiah. Yeah. A child is born. There's a point in history where this child comes forth from a woman. And as that child is begotten, right, mm-hmm. it's not as if he's just he's not being made for the first time right right he's being begotten which just means to be brought forth that's all that word really means and so this child that's being begotten is also being given right this child's being brought forth but a son this eternal son of god is just simply being given to to the world as a sacrifice as a sacrifice and you know that misconception that jesus came into existence at his birth is widely held by Muslims. When we talk about Jesus being God, some of them will come back and say, well, who who was he before he was born? Mm -hmm. He was born in, where was God before Mary? They're confused. What they don't understand is Jesus was always God. He was always this immaterial being who chose to come into the world through the birth canal Mm -hmm. and incarnate as a human being. The Word became flesh right, and dwelt among us. Um, 
you had sort of alluded to John 1 1. Um, and when we discuss the deity of Christ with Jehovah's Witnesses, mm-hmm. um, we're stuck in John 1 1 because our, the real Bibles say, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Mm-hmm. In the heretical right. New World translation that the Jehovah's Witnesses use, they will say something like, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Mm-hmm. They will add the word a in there to say that Jesus wasn't really God. He is some lower type creature who is not God. Mm-hmm. So I would highly recommend that you leave John 1, 1 aside and look two verses down to John 1, 3. And yeah. here's what it says, even in their heretical New World Translation, all things came into existence through him and apart from him, not even one thing came into existence. So this is saying right. that the Word, or Jesus Christ, made everything. Nothing that came into existence came into existence apart from Jesus. Right. So if Jesus was a created being, as the Jehovah's Witnesses try to claim, mm-hmm. he would have had to create himself before he existed. So That's not very logical. No, it's impossible. Mm-hmm. So when you're talking to a Jehovah's Witness arguing about the deity of Christ, and let's say you touch on John 1, 1, mm-hmm. Go down to John 1, 3, slowly read through John 1, 3, work through the logic, right. and make them tell you what John 1, 3 is saying. Mm-hmm. Amen. Did you want to talk about uh, Jehovah's Witness objection to mighty God? Yes. Because so, that comes up sometimes in conversations. Yes. When we right. share Isaiah 9, 6 to a Jehovah's Witness, and, and this, it says... And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But yet he's this child who will be born. How can a, a child be Mighty God? Mm-hmm. This really bad argument comes back. Well, it says Mighty God, not Almighty God. Right. <laughs> but So he's just a strong God. Right. <laughs> so Some strong God out there. But he's not the strongest God. The answer is really simple. Let's look at the next chapter, Isaiah ten twenty one. The remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. Mm. Who owns Jacob, which is another name for Israel? God. God. Yeah. The not God. some Yahweh. lesser God. Yahweh. Yeah. All caps, Jehovah. Lord. Right. Jehovah. So... Here we have in Isaiah ten twenty one a clear allusion to God being having the title Mighty God. Yeah. So we can set that really bizarre objection yeah. aside. So Mighty God is equivalent is God. to Yahweh. Yeah. It's Jehovah. Yeah. Yeah. Then yeah. Jeremiah thirty two eighteen, in our translations, it's even clearer. You show loving kindness to thousands and repay the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great uh the great, the mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts. Mm-hmm. The mighty God is the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts. Yeah. All caps, Lord. Jehovah of hosts. Yeah. Amen. Um, I would just want to encourage you guys, um, if you don't have a pen out yet, if you're listening, I encourage you to write these verses down. I think one thing we're going to try to do is put some of this up on our website. Um, just so you guys have kind of a quick reference. I encourage you guys, because when... When someone comes to your door, maybe you'll get a knock on the door from a Jehovah's Witness sometime soon or a Mormon or whoever. A lot of the 
time, these verses aren't just, you know, you're doing something, you're in the middle of your day, you're going about your business, someone knocks on your door, they're giving you some sort of literature, and you want to you want to talk to them, you want to reach them for Christ, you want to have a, a meaningful conversation with them, right? And this these scriptures aren't always right at the forefront of your mind. You'll be like, oh man, I've heard about this before, but my mind just can't recall all the different verses and stuff. I encourage you, write this down, put it in some sort of reference format, put a title, you know, what is, you know, this is talking about mighty God objection or whatever it might be and have these verses and have them kind of categorized. Do that. Be willing to put in some of that time, some of that energy so that you might be able to speak the words of life to someone, you know, so that you might you know, preach the gospel to someone and, you know, God might be pleased to turn that planted seed or watered seed into salvation for that person. So I just encourage you guys um, with that. I did want to throw out the number. I don't think I threw it out um, since the second half. If you want to chime in or have questions about apologetics or you want to talk about the deity of Christ or Christmas or... Whatever's on your mind, uh, feel free to call us at 888-995-5552. That's 888-995-KKLA. Um, Isaiah 51. I have a feeling um, there's there's some good references to proclaiming Christ and his deity here that I don't think many listeners are going to be very familiar with, but I think it's uh, powerful um, seed or you know something that Tony drew out of the text recently. So let's jump over to that one, Isaiah 51, 9, and 10. What do you got? Yes. You got so there? let's read Isaiah 51, 9 through 10. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the ancient days, in the generation of old. So this verse is addressing someone called arm of the Lord. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the mm, Lord. Okay. Okay, look at verse 10. Are you not the one who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, that made the depths of the sea a road for the redeemed to cross over? What's happening in verse 10, Jason? Okay, so the sea's dried up. Mm-hmm. The depths of the sea turned into a road that the redeemed were able to cross over. That sounds exactly like God rescuing his people from Pharaoh as they crossed through the Red Sea. Right, it's the parting of the Red Sea. So look at Isaiah 51, 9 again. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Verse 10, are you not the one who dried up the sea? So arm of the Lord is a title for who? God. God. Because God is the one who parted the Red Sea. Dried up the sea, right. So remember, the arm of the Lord is God. Yep. Now let's go to Isaiah 53, a very famous chapter for proclaiming Christ. Yep. Let's look at how Isaiah 53 begins. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? There is the arm of the Lord. Look at verse 2. Look at the pronouns. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. So who is the he who shall grow up? It refers back to... The Messiah. It refers back to verse 1, the arm of the Lord. For mm-hmm. he, the arm of the Lord, shall grow up before him as a tender plant. Okay. Gotcha. He, the arm of the Lord, has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, the arm of the Lord, there is no beauty that we should desire him. 
the arm of the Lord. Mm-hmm. So all of Isaiah 53 is about this character, the arm of the Lord. But we see from Isaiah 51, 9 and 10, That's that the, the arm of the Lord is God. Yeah, who parted the Red Sea. Who parted the Red Sea. So when we look at a verse like Isaiah 53, 6, one out of many in Isaiah that show the gospel, Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the arm of the Lord, the iniquity of us all. Wait a minute. The Lord has laid on him the sin of us all. Mm-hmm. What do you call that process of laying one person's sin on somebody else and having that somebody else pay the price for the one who actually said. That's sinned. a sacrifice. It's Substitutionary, an atonement. Atonement. Substitutionary atonement. That's in the Old Testament. What right. is a New Testament Christian concept doing in the Old Testament? It's been there the whole it's time. Been there, yeah. People haven't been Same paying time. attention. Yeah. When you read Isaiah 53, um, you see the entire gospel unfold. Mm-hmm. The, the taking of our sins, putting on, on Jesus, how Jesus, his, the stripes that were on him, healed us. Mm-hmm. So read Isaiah 53. A lot of you already right. know it. Yeah, that's, that a, it, it that's a famous that, one for witnessing to the Jewish people, right? Right, that this person right looks there. just like Jesus. Yeah. But at Isaiah 51, 9 through 10 there, it tells you that this one who looks like Jesus is none other than God, the God who yeah. parted the Red Sea. Amazing. Amen. Yeah, so <clears throat> that's a new one to me. I hope you guys... Grab that one, write it down, and bring that one up. You could witness to really anyone. You could you could show that to an atheist um, to show them, you know, this substitutionary atonement. This one who died for sins is God. He's the same God who parted the Red Sea. You know, showing just, um, you know, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, the the Godhood. Of Christ. Let's look at verse 5 of Isaiah 53 for a real quick second just to really drive the nail home. Mm-hmm. But he, God, was wounded for our transgressions. He, God, was bruised for our iniquities. Right. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, God. And by his stripes, Jesus' stripes, God's stripes, we are healed. Mm-hmm. Wow. The Old Testament is telling us before Jesus arrived, that God was going to pay the price for our sins. Right. And that all started on Christmas when Jesus came into the world through Mary. Amen. Amen. Um, Job 9, I just want to highlight this for people. Job 9 is a important reference because when, when you're dealing with people who don't believe that Jesus is God, he's maybe some lesser God or he's not God at all. You know, the Mormons believe that he is an angel. Um, he's the, the spirit brother of Lucifer, you know, just like Satan is a fallen angel. You know, Jesus is an angel. Jehovah's witness actually believe that Jesus is Michael, the ark, the archangel. All right. He's not God. And whenever we're witnessing to someone, obviously as Tony, you know, kind of, laid out a gospel conversation earlier in the show. One of the first things we need to do is help a person come to acknowledge um, their sin before God, their sinful condition. 
Right. And you do that, you could do that simply through the law, right? Showing, you know, have you ever lied? Have you ever stolen? Have you ever looked with lust? Have you ever misused God's name, right? Those are all sins, right, that God has to to punish. And so, you you know, you get a person, obviously, to, to recognize their sin. And the majority of people will easily admit, you know, definitely they've sinned. You know, they've certainly lied. They've certainly looked with lust before. Um, and that's great. They need to understand that. But then when you get to this kind of <clears throat> concept of reconciliation, how are we forgiven, right? Well, there's there's a gap. There's 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 God and there's us, and we need some go-between. We need a mediator. We need to go to court, and this needs to be settled somehow because, you know, we're criminals, and we deserve a certain penalty, and how are we going to work this out? Well, let's go to trial, right? Let's go to court and figure this out. And Job 9, 32, 33 has, paints a great picture here. It says, um, for he is not a man as I am. This is Job kind of speaking about God. He says, he is not a man as I am that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. There is no arbiter, no mediator between us who might lay his hand on us both. And so you have this picture here, Job saying, hey, God is not a man, so I can't really communicate with him. I can't answer him. I can't respond to him. And we can't go to trial together, although we need to. There's no one to mediate between us who might lay their hand on both of us. So in order to be a proper mediator, you need to be able to place your hand on both parties, right? So in, this, in, the, in the civil, you know, human realm, mediators, you have two, two parties and another human party, and they mediate. But here you have a God and you have a man. So how do you mediate that? Well, the mediator must be able to live in both of those spheres. So that mediator needs to be able to place their hand on God, and that mediator needs to be able to place their hand on man. The only, the only type of mediator that could do that is one that is both God and is man at the same time. And we know from the incarnation when, when Jesus became a babe, he took on flesh. He took on humanity. Um, he took on all the, the human nature, but he also retained the divine nature. Let's jump to so the Carmen Christi. Picture. Philippians yeah. 2. Oh, because we got to mention Philippians 2. Yeah. You want to read it or you want me to read it? Go for it. You read okay, it. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So here at the beginning of Philippians 2, 5 through 11, we see that Jesus, he's in the form of God. He did not consider it wrong to be equal with God, but he made himself into a bondservant looking like a man. Mm. So 
Jesus is not created. Jesus was God, is God. He came into the world as a man, appearing as a man, so he could die for us. Amen. Another thing to highlight from that is that every knee bows to Jesus. And if if bowing before anyone other than God is a sin, which the second commandments tell us, only bow to God and no one else. When you bow to Christ here in Philippians 2, it actually brings glory to God the Father. How can you do that if Jesus is not God? It would be blasphemous. It would be idolatry. But since Jesus is God, it actually glorifies the Father when you glorify the Son. And so with that, we will wrap our show. We want to thank you all for listening. Thank you, Tony, for your your wonderful insights. Uh, look out for our website. We'll kind of post some of this stuff on there and post it on our Facebook page. But uh, until next Friday, this is Jason Gallagher saying keep the faith. Keep the faith.